and welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. Well, hello there, Sebastian. Hi, I'm super there was sleepy. A bit sort of, that was a bit of Ian McKellen, not Ian McKellen, Ian McGregor, uh, <laughs> Obi-Wan Kamau. Why, hello there. Um, well, no, that wasn't really what I was going for. We are recording on, um, we're actually recording on Thanksgiving Day, otherwise known as National Coming Out Day. Uh, although, weirdly, I think National Coming Out Day was definitely invented by an American. Yeah. It does love land on Canadian Thanksgiving. Um, that would not have uh, been on, well, I mean, it, it kind of works out because, you know, everyone's all together. It'd be the, the uh, Thanksgiving would now be the official Canadian holiday of jumping up and saying, guess what, everybody? And then like, <laughs> I am a homosexual. <laughs> at least three people will say, yeah, we knew. Um, yeah. That, that seems to be the tradition. At least one person will say, come on now, Frank, you told us last year and the year before. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Um, yeah, mm. no, actually, being uh, speaking of um, being a homosexual, did you hear about the woman who was officially diagnosed as a homosexual? I I heard bits about this. It seemed gossipy, but what what, what are the details? Oh, I've misplaced it now. <laughs> I had the story. Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, it was in Spain. Okay. Now, according to The Advocate, which is one of the LGBT papers that we keep an eye on, and mm. I quote here, activists in Spain are outraged after a 19-year-old woman was given a diagnosis of homosexuality from a gynecologist who listed it as a disease. Now, the woman okay. was in uh, Murcia, which is in southeastern Spain. Um, she went in for some menstrual issues and okay. uh, came out with a an official diagnosis of being a homosexual okay but yeah so apparently she's looking at filing a complaint with a local health service and wants uh wants an, an apology a part of me thought you know I, i'm on the fence about this yeah because in women's health and in uh, in men's health yeah your sexuality does Ha, like there is a correlation to various health conditions yep and you know Absolutely. sometimes it's important to know yep. that you know they partake in uh the back door as it may be in the case of a man um or well, she purchases a lot of scissors i mean these are things that are important uh important to know whether or not it should be listed as a disease you well know, here's the thing or the homosexual so knowing that somebody is sexually active and in what manner they're sexually active, as you you indicated, uh, is important information. And uh, I mean, it, do they have a notes section? Because that was one of the problems that they had with police here in Canada, that they they didn't have like a, a notes section during um, uh, it, not an arrest. What, what's it called? Like whenever there's like a uh, when the police deal with the public, they have to make a note of it. And they didn't have a notes section. Uh, with regards to the person's identity for the longest time, which made it very difficult when they're talking to trans people and a trans person is like, that's my old ID. This is my new name. So they had to put it under like criminal interactions. The note was this person's trans and it was a huge issue. And it was just because there wasn't a note section. So the, the, is it possible that the medical files in Spain just doesn't have a FYI section, so they had to put it somewhere. So they're like, yeah, we'll just put it under there so that people know that, like, you know, what's happening now is not from vigorous, uh, uh, gentlemanly relations. It, it's uh, 
unrelated. It's kind of pre-endometriosis or I don't know, whatever, you know, that there's a million things it could be, but it's got nothing to do with sexual activity that I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still manning the argument here. Like I'm giving a best case scenario, uh, yeah, but it well, could also be that they're idiots. Like well, I, I'm willing really... <laughs> to the, the American health service. They told uh, El Diaro, which is a, a local paper there that mm. uh, they're going to investigate, establish the facts, but they don't currently plan on apologizing. Mm-hmm. The local LGBT organization uh, rather pointedly pointed out mm-hmm. that uh, homosexuality stopped being a mental illness in 1990, okay. uh, which uh, for those who aren't good at uh, quick math was over 30 years ago. Sometime and, ago yeah. uh, <laughs> at this point, it's like clearly the health authority in Spain should have caught on with that small update that happened 30 years ago. Uh, they also pointed out multiple other reports of discrimination against patients uh, from that very same health service. So uh, I don't know. I think it is funny. Sometimes if I got diagnosed as the gay, I'm like, yeah, no, that checks out. That's, yeah. that's pretty on brand. <laughs> I'm, I am, I am, I'm pretty, pretty gay. Uh, but at the same time, it is not appropriate to have it being listed as a disease in a way where it's not medically relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't normally like bad apple um, excuses, but if all of the complaints are coming from one place, it could just be that there's one or two idiots at that one location who are doing this. And they could say, this is not an issue of the health service. This is not even an issue of that clinic. This is an issue of, uh, this one nurse and this one doctor who share an opinion that we do not endorse. Uh, it could be that kind of situation. Well, Actually, the, probably... the pro-LGBT group say that there are some professionals in their health service. So that indicates that maybe there's more than two. Um, huh. I don't know. I think the Mercian Mer- uh, Health Service in, uh, in southeastern Spain needs to take a look at this because uh, it is a little funny, um, but also... You know, this is pretty serious. I think that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you don't really want your medical records to be listing you as having a, a severe case of the homosexual. Well, it depends on the context. So, um, for example, you know, somebody is a man who actively and regularly has sex with other men and they're on PrEP. That kind, That is the kind of thing that people fought to have noted in their medical records. But that's very different. Because it has to do with a sexual treatment for something that has to do with sexual activity. And it's relevant in that case. So, I mean, I I think it's an issue of uh, depends on what you're doing, depends on what you're talking about, depends on whether or not it's relevant. It's usually not relevant. I mean, I am 100% on your side for that. But if it does have to do with sexual activity, then, then, then yeah, absolutely. So the, the other story that has come to mind that sort of, I think, had more legs than it needed, okay. you know, when it's, a bit of a, when it's a bit of a slow news week and you, and you uh-huh. see the same story everywhere. Yeah. So Tom Daly picked up an award in as part of the Attitude, which is a, a publication in the UK. Okay. Um, they got the he was awarded the Sport Award. Uh, okay. Tom Daly has done quite a lot in terms of raising the profile of LGBT folks in sports in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good on him. But what he said in his expectant, uh, ec, um, acceptance speech, and I'll quote here, these past Olympic Games, there were more out LGBT athletes 
than any of the previous Olympics combined, which is a great step forward. And then he goes on to say, yet there are still 10 countries that punish being gay with death that were still allowed to compete at the Olympic Games. And uh, he's indicated that he plans on campaigning to have the countries that have the death penalty for homosexuality not allowed to compete. Now, that includes Afghanistan, Iran, Mauritius, uh, Mauritiana, sorry, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen. Now, mm. don't forget that Saudi Arabia held, I think, is planning to have the world, uh, I think it's the FIFA championships uh, are going to be in there. The World Cup is going to Saudi Arabia. Yep. Um, and Pakistan is constantly hosting uh, cricket uh, uh, finals. I don't know. Saudi, I'm Arabia, sure Saudi Arabia also hosted WrestleMania recently, and all the female wrestlers were incredibly uncomfortable going. And there are a few uh, closeted wrestlers that uh, obviously they, they're closeted, so they wouldn't say anything, but other wrestlers advocated on their behalf as feeling uncomfortable going. But it was basically just, do you want the million dollars or not kind of a situation? So it was really uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's very peculiar. You know, I think that there's a bit of a difference between hosting a major sporting event and um, participating in a major sporting event. I was going to say the exact same thing because the whole point of the Olympics is to help foster international relations and, and, you know, positive, you know, vibes and, and people moving around the world and seeing each other and, and, you know, making sure that everyone's a participant, like the, the, I I don't want to do, you know, the reductio here, but like famously, People refused to exclude Germany from the from the Olympics during the World War II period because they're like, we no, need- Germany hosted it. The Nazis yeah. hosted the, the Olympics. And, and I was wondering if Tom Daly knew that the Olympics has a history of being hosted by the Nazis yeah, or yeah, the yeah. Soviet Union, you know, um, and that was one of the years that uh, that the Americans didn't get any hardly any gold medals. Yeah. Um, and, and the idea but- there is that, you know, this is supposed to be neutral ground where we don't. We're, we're, we're supposed to be fostering a dialogue and I'm all for that. But like, I completely agree with you that if you are a country that outlaws the lives of certain people, you should probably not be hosting the Olympics, but you should probably also be like double invited to make sure that you're definitely there so that other people can be like, Hey buddy, how you, how you doing? Oh, I, I see you have a certain opinion. Let me see if I can change mm-hmm. your mind. Like meet on neutral ground, you know? I mean, I think it's interesting because there was, you know, it's I find it ironic that he's going after Pakistan and Saudi Arabia uh, when Japan was in major hot water during hosting of the uh, the Olympics and even the gay games, I think. Although I think that might be going to Hong Kong. I forget exactly where it's going. Um, but when there's very little, you know, zero to no uh, legal protections for LGBT folks in Japan. Mm. You know, there was, we talked about it multiple times on our show and now there's huge campaigns for yep. Japan to introduce anti-discrimination legislation uh, in advance of the Olympics, which didn't yep. happen. The Olympics mm-hmm. have come and gone from Japan. And, uh, you know, not a peep from Tom Daly about that. Uh, however, I don't know, is Iran and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia easy target? Is this, is this the cross he's willing to die on? Because I just, I do not think that, uh, that this is going to achieve anything. And I am a huge Tom Daly fan. Oh, I know, know you are. 
people talk about, you know, the sports they watch, baseball, hockey. For me, it's men's synchronized Olympic diving. Like that is pretty <laughs> much my only and go-to sport. Uh, the Chinese team are fantastic in the men's synchronized Olympic diving. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that's 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 my favorite. I'm going to get a t-shirt and everything. But it's, I don't know. Well, I think what I already you told you, you there's there's two sports that I'm willing to watch. One of them only when I have a beer in my hand, and that is pro wrestling, which is more of a theatrics, uh, an athletic theater than it is a sport. And the other is uh, professional tag, or shaisuli, <laughs> as it's known, which sounds like a joke. But if if you look up professional tag, also known as shaisuli, then then it is absolutely engaging. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I don't know how far it's going to get. Um, the, you know, the UN isn't as toothy as it used to be. Uh, the Olympic Committee isn't as, you know, it doesn't have the brass that it probably ought to have. It, it allows a lot of things to happen, but then a lot of other things, it, it brings the hammer down. And it's kind of hard to predict sometimes when they're going to do what. Um, but definitely, I agree that, you know, if, if a country is hosting the Olympics, there should not be anyone who is at risk of danger or violence. Death. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. But I don't believe that Pakistan or Iran or Afghanistan uh, are on the list of upcoming hosts for the Olympics. No. You know what I mean? I, yeah. Because I think there is a, there is a major distinction. Yeah. Should there be pressure? Sure. You know, I oh, think yeah. that that's, that's appropriate. And I think that is something that these hosting nations can really emphasize. They have the power mm-hmm. to sort of emphasize that. You know, if you think about Pride House, which is a huge part of uh, the Olympic community in uh, in the Olympics, and this year really was the gayest on record. Um, you know, I think this goes a long way towards sort of setting the stage for what comes next. I don't know. I, I think... Tom Daly has played a very active role in promoting LGBT acceptance in sport in Britain. I do not believe that he is going to be able to persuade the International Olympic Committee to stop Pakistan from participating. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Even though I am a big Tom Daly fan, I have his calendar. It's even if a mug, which is keep calm, think of Tom Daly actually own a mug that says that uh, however oh with all that being said <laughs> uh, on this occasion me and tom daly not on the same page because i just don't i think it's the wrong battle you I'm know when, all for his optimism though you know my good my on last him. point on this is is that the olympic committee is currently working on their official guidance for uh trans participation in sport now the olympics are notorious for hormone testing and gender testing their Olympic athletes. Um, And including a lot of women who were born women, very much women. um, Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, well, you've got a bit too much testosterone there, Sheila, so you you can't participate. So they're they're trying to figure out all of those regulations. You know, I think it could have much more powerful impact advocating as an Olympian, a bronze medal winning Olympian within the Olympic community to make sure that those regulations are, um, you know, as as cutting edge with what a lot of the, you know, countries are dealing with as possible. Mm. Um, You know, I just think that he could be more effective taking that approach to promote LGBT rights. Yeah, for sure. It's, It's a matter of choosing your battles. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, we are going to jump to, ironically, a song called The Catastrophe by the Soviet Influence, um, not related to the comments about the USSR, but uh, this sort of indie rock band, I think they're out of Toronto. Uh, they are. It was a good track. I enjoyed them. And we will be back just after this. I'm anxious, you're depressed My life is such an awful mess It's a madness, I must confess Clean living, bodies at ease Empty skies of paddle trees An illusion of calm, resting sea Welcome back to Cancrea, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. I forgot who we were for a hot second then. It was uh, it was a bit of a moment. Um, I don't have Out TV, which is uh, Canada's LGBT television specialty cable network. It's on um, Rogers, isn't of, it? Packaged I, in. I no. Think you can, you I think can it's packaged in with Bell. Yeah, Separately? I think you can buy access to it in lots of cable. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's the, I think it's the only specialty LGBT 
channel at least it was you know a while ago honestly yeah. i've never owned a cable so i you know i'm uh-huh. of the generation that when i started living on my own the internet was a thing so yeah. i've just uh, never owned cable however they have launched a program called call me mother um so it's uh, out tv in the uk and fruit tv in uh, sorry fruit tv in the uk out tv in canada and the usa uh, very exciting because i think it is it's like the voice meets rupaul's drag race um, and what I mean by that is, from what we can tell, mm-hmm. it is an eight-week competition uh, where Drag Race royalty queens, and, and including one queen who is not from Drag Race, so uh, people may be familiar with Peppermint and Cristal from the Peppermint from the US and Cristal from the from the UK, and then Barbara de Barbades or Barbades, Barbades. I'm not sure how to <laughs> how to say her last name, um, but. Barbada de Barbadies. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm really <laughs> messing this up. Anyway, the whole idea of it, I thought was really interesting because we have kind of riled against the uh, the sort of the, the hegemony and the sort of the overwhelming conformity of RuPaul's Drag Race, where yeah. you have to lip sync, even in countries where there's no history of it. Yeah. And you have to do, you know, dances and voguing, which is unique and distinct to the yep. New York ball scene. So it's not even, also, you know, common across the United States. High fashion as well, as opposed to frocks. Comedy or, fashion, yeah. and yeah, camp, Comedy fashion. You know, yep. they've got better over, over the times. You know, we've got an assigned female at birth, drag queen, um, recently in the cast at the, in the I mean, UK. Here's what I want to know. Will the foam flip-flop dress from um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, would that win a competition in RuPaul? And it probably wouldn't. It would probably be looked at as being, you know, that's not high fashion enough. And given the, the judges they usually have on the panel, I mean, uh, not only that, but given the kinds of competitions they usually have, it probably would be rejected, even though that kind of weird, goofy, no woman would ever do that kind of surrealist interpretation of femininity that is the history of drag. Um, that's a lot more classic to some regions in the world. That's their indigenous drag, and that would never make it in RuPaul mm-hmm. because that's not, that's not the kind of drag they do. So having a lot more diversity in types of drag is very like, yeah, you very briefly described this to me beforehand. And I, it actually does interest me a lot more than RuPaul's Drag Race does for sure. Well, but just, you know, what I'm looking forward to, apparently, you know, news folks have compared it to The Voice. Essentially, mm-hmm. there are 10 drag babies. Those are young drag, uh, drag queens who want to get into the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are three drag mothers. So they're, they're you know, chosen into, the, into each of their teams. And uh, each week there's a competition that showcases their artistry and talents. And uh, the losing team the mother of that team has to oust one of her drag children. Um, mm. So I, the reason what interests me is that there's, I think there's a lot more, there is a, oh my gosh, there is a lot more focus on mentorship and guidance and sort of 
building up the skills between the drag mother and these drag queens. And I think it speaks to the actual drag culture that we see in Canada more, you know, where you get, and it's not just the drag culture, but I think this is far more true to what is longstanding queer culture, at least until relatively recently, where, you know, you would come out as gay before the days of Grindr, you would meet other other gay men at uh, at clubs and bars, mm-hmm. and you would be taken under the wing of somebody who was older, wiser, more experienced, who would sort of show you the ropes. Yep. I have somebody who did that for me, and and sort of guided me when took me to my first Toronto Pride and did all of these things, and you know it becomes a sort of uh, a mental figure yeah. in terms of how to navigate queerness and some of these drag oh. houses were also like adoptive families because exactly. the the kind of like uh very effeminate gay men or sort of pre-trans before we had the technology to have trans happen uh trans uh, cross-dresser would be the historical term but now we would call them trans women um, they were way more likely to be rejected by their families and by society. And so drag race, uh, not drag race, um, the, the drag houses was sort of this other chosen family, this support network that would help you through things. And uh, a lot of them have rules like here in town, actually, uh, Zelda Marshall, one of the, the local drag mothers here in Ottawa, has a very big rule, which is that when you're performing under the name of our house, you are sober. You know, you can have mm. may- maybe a shot or two or, you know, a little something to take the edge off, but you don't do drugs. You don't get so drunk you're going to fall over. You know, you're, you're, you're clean, you're performing, and you're doing the house proud. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there is a history of substance abuse in the community in general, not just with, with drag, but, like, drag does tend to be a bit of a lightning rod for for certain kinds of substance abuse and you know a lot of houses have pretty strong rules about when and where you can do how much of what and so that kind of you know helping develop somebody into a self-reliant non-self-destructive adult is kind of built into that system as well as like you know mentoring somebody into adulthood not just mentoring somebody in how to lip sync better or how to make a better wig although that is also part of it sometimes um and I, I really kind of do like this idea of focusing on the, the relationship between established individuals. It, it kind of focuses on the intergenerational contact that, that used to be a lot more common in the gay community. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that access to, you know, learning amazing makeup skills through, you know, YouTube and TikTok, fantastic. Yeah. You know, being inspired and seeing the creativity and the, the the potential through the 50 different seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. But, you know, I think the next generation of drag queens have so much access to knowledge, but what they're really missing is that sort of sense of community, that sense yeah. of mentorship, that sense of having somebody to lean on um, that uh, that you can refer to. I don't know. I think that this approach, for me, I think seems more genuine to the history of uh, of of drag and, and queer culture, you know, some of our listeners healthier. may have watched. Some of our listeners may have watched Legendary on. Uh, um, I think it was Bell. Bell had the license here in Canada, so it's available yep. on Crave. 
Um, hey. And that was a reality show based on the ball houses in New York. And, uh, you know, they you really got a sense of the house element there. Mm. And uh, I think Pose, the TV show, also focused a lot on the, the ball house scene. Um, mm. But, you know, it wasn't distinct. It wasn't unique to just uh, New York. The idea of of mentorship and intergenerational um, relationships in terms of mm-hmm. that sort of wisdom and uh, peace uh, was really common. Anyway, I'm excited to see it. I will be trying to figure out how to watch it without buying cable. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you can subscribe to the website and get access. Uh-huh. So yeah, we'll we'll be digging into it. But if you have out TV, be sure to check it out. I think it'll be coming out uh, pretty soon. Um, yeah, do you plan on uh, plan on watching it? Uh, well, I mean. Maybe, maybe. I now, mean, I know something you don't plan on watching, and something ugh. you never ever plan on watching. Oh, I mean that that list goes on. Uh, that is a long list, and I'm referring to the, the Cats, the movie, the the musical movie. Um, I only mention it because I have a very quick story here. Because uh, I mean, it's not particularly gay, but I am a big fan of uh, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, the man it, who is- wrote the original Cats. Can I can I can I guess? Because I think I know what you're going to say. Is it that What's he hate he hated cats so much he had to get an emotional support dog? That is exactly the story. <laughs> it's, it's he was so traumatized. I mean, th- he did an interview with Vanity, and uh, and in it he it was a no holds barred. He said, "Oh yeah, it was it was horrific." Mm-hmm. And uh, furthermore, he felt like they completely didn't understand the gist of the actual original musical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when you see when you compare the musical to the movie, it really the 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 stage musical is a musical review. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the, like a variety show. It's like a variety show where every act has something to do with cats. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas this one has. Uh, you they know, tried to make a alleged, story out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And James Corden's in there being awkward. And it's just, it's all a bit much. Apparently all change sizes. And it's, mm. there's apparently a nipple edit that uh, floats around. Um, but what, what happened was that he was so disturbed that he, as soon as he left the theater, he went out and bought a dog. Yeah. He just, he couldn't, he couldn't manage. And he said that never in his career, and he's had a lot of musicals turned into movies. Yeah. He said never in his career has he ever been driven to a purchase, uh, especially a dog, um, as a result of it. Um, then during the pandemic, he got very close to his dog, as did many of our listeners, and everyone mm-hmm. became very attached to their dogs of the pandemic. Um, but he wanted to be able to fly with his dog, and uh, so he told the airline, you know, I want to he's my emotional support dog. And uh, the airline responded to him saying, well, you know, you do have to prove he's an emotional support dog uh, to which uh, Sandra Lloyd Webber says whether or not this is true. It depends. But he told Variety that he told the airport, uh, the airline, have you seen the movie Cats? Uh, and are you sure I don't need an emotional support dog? And uh, the airline <laughs> apparently uh, just waved him through. So <laughs> whether or not this is true remains to be seen. But according to Andrew Lloyd Webber, he told an airline, have you seen the movie Cats? And that was enough. They understood the trauma and uh, he could he could take his dog on a plane. 
That kind of reminds me of uh, when Sandra Bullock won a Razzie. She won two Razzies. And her first one, she said, I, I understand that all of you voted for me to have had the worst performance of the year. And I will not apologize. I will admit it was the worst performance of my career. But to say it's the worst of the year, I don't think you all actually saw it. And she actually handed out free copies of her movie to everyone in the room and said, I want you all to watch this movie. And if in a year's time, you still feel that it was the worst performance of the year, then I will accept this prize. And if you renege it, then I will come back to hand this prize next to you and we can all have a laugh. And I just, I don't know. I, I like it when, 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 uh, that's very grounded, you know, that's very down to earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, the Andrew Lloyd Webber story, when I read that, cause actually I, I pay attention to musicologists for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I like musicologists. And a lot of them actually, they analyzed the relationship between the, the, the stage musical and the movie. And they said, like, here are all the things that they got wrong. And the number one thing was they tried to make a story out of a variety show. Um, and there's like 30 years of people who love musical theater who know exactly what Cats was. And it's like they didn't speak to a single person who actually liked it. They just sort of read the the uh not 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 the script because if it's a musical it would be a score they read the score and they just sort of flailed their arms at it and yeah it was it was weird it was weird well i don't know i mean i think this really is the nail in the coffin for the movie cats where uh-huh. the man that wrote cats was so traumatized he needs an emotional support dog i mean that is a pretty uh, withering review if ever i heard one so it, uh-huh. it's not uh, it's not great <laughs> i watched I, cats i i uh-huh. sat through it i thought it was an okay movie i liked the music i think i would have much preferred the stage performance I normally disapprove when people tell me they they would need to be drunk or high to enjoy something because I'm like, if you need to be drunk or high to enjoy something, you you don't enjoy it. It is not in Mm. you to enjoy it. You know, if you can't enjoy it sober, what are you talking about? But I think the only way you could get me to sit through cats is to feed me substances. Be intoxicated. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think I could enjoy it while in my right mind, at which point Mm. my answer is just don't watch it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, there we go. That's our not movie recommendation of the week. (laughs) We are going to jump to our next song. This is Lead Me by uh, Jaylee Wolf. Huge fan of this incredible Indigenous artist. This is, like I said, uh, Lead Me. And we will be back just after this.
and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. Now, we, did you know? We, light banter. Oh, go ahead. Light banter. Uh, I am feeling really tired today. <laughs> um, and I will tell you why. I, I think I mentioned before that I have uh, a sleep disorder. And yes, yes. I, I occasionally have what's known as a paradoxical reaction, which is uh, I had a cup of tea earlier and it's making me dead sleepy. So sometimes caffeine will actually knock me out. I think I think that's happened before where you give me a cup of tea and then you turn around and then I'm falling asleep. And you're gone. Chair. It's like, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and then other so times I have to you give you a sedative to wake you up. <laughs> yeah. And then you give me another other times you give me a cup of tea and I'm like, hey, 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 what do you want to do? So, I mean, it's it's really inconsistent. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. So what's next? The next story I have is a story that's getting a lot of traction. Um, the DC Comics have decided to <gasps> chart a oh. new course. Now, this Luke, is interesting. For shame. For shame, Luke. It's just DC because it's Detective Comics. It'd be Detective Comics Comics. Okay, well, I apologize, but I mean, <laughs> I feel like for our general public listening, if I didn't specify the comics, people I might need... be thinking of, you know, are we referring to the District of Columbia? Is that what we're referring to now? I need it's to like... advocate on behalf of the nerd listeners out there. I need to speak okay. for them because they're not here to defend themselves. <laughs> okay, well, many DC. people, these nerd, list, these nerd listeners will know that yes. they are constantly creating new comics. Oh, yeah. And they are constantly inventing new stories, new versions, new realities. Um, mm-hmm. It really is the premise of the What If movies, uh, you know, which is, I know it's a Marvel product, but I think for our broad listing audience, they get the idea that there are lots of different versions of some of these major comic characters. Mm-hmm. Now, I bring this up because there's a huge story Right now, it's all over the place about John Kent. Now, some people probably don't know who John Kent is. Uh, So in the world of DC, Mm -hmm. John Kent is the child of Clark Kent, i.e. Superman Mm -hmm. and Lois Lane. Clearly, at some point, she figured out who he was and it was... It's all uh, it's all happening. So anyway, in a new round of uh, comics, the Superman, the son of Kal El, uh, John Kent has come out as bisexual, okay. and uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that unfolds throughout the run of this particular comic. But yeah, um, John Kent then takes on the role of Superman uh, in the place of Clark Kent, who was the uh the og superman Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it'll be really interesting i don't know i think this might be a little bit of a you know more legs than it needs this is another one of those stories Mm. because comics are constantly you know breaking new ground oh yeah and there have been i mean when you say we'll see how it shakes out and in truth it'll probably not really affect much of anything because like constantine for example uh, you know, famously played by Keanu Reeves a few years ago, and there's a TV series as well. Um, fans of Constantine have been complaining for years that there are two things they never depicted. First is that he is a chain smoker, and uh, the second is that he's been openly bisexual from the start. And it barely really plays into the stories very much because fundamentally he's trying to save the world from you know the 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 demons of the Underdark, and he's a little bit 
busy with that. And every so often they'll show him rolling out of bed and there'll be a lady in the bed. And sometimes they'll show him rolling out of bed and there'll be a dude in the bed. And then otherwise, you know, he's like, well, gotta go fight evil. Bye. And that's, that's, it's kind of a background thing, which is fine because in very, in many ways, I, I kind of prefer when they do, um, I don't want to call it diversity stuff, but for lack of a better term, diversity stuff in the background, uh, sort of naturalize it. Yeah. Uh, my, my favorite, uh, uh, LGBT character in video games is Sir Hammerlock from the Borderlands series, and the way oh, that they yes. he's fantastic. They, intru- they introduced him as a gay man in uh, Borderlands Two by basically just saying, uh, "A monster killed my ex boyfriend. I want you to go get vengeance on him." Uh, and that was it. And that that's how they outed him. And then the rest of the story, because he was sort of just like a, a hunter character and you go and then you you kill a thing and he's like, you know, well done, bravo. And then that's it. And it was just so subtle. The first time I saw it, I was like, wait, did I hear that right? And then I looked it up and yeah, sure enough. And it was that sort of like naturalizing storytelling where it was just, you know, I, I have an ex-girlfriend that I'm avoiding. Like that's the kind of, I, mm-hmm. I like that kind of, way of integrating into the story because instead of making a big deal out of it you're kind of forcing people to take it as naturally as you are sort of like you know it's kind of the star trek approach to things but- yeah i mean i do want to mention for our nerdy listeners that of course in uh, in the wedding dlc the uh, <laughs> hamlock being gay is a lot more on the note because it, it's all about his wedding it's all um, about his wedding yeah you know, growing up, I used to read, you know, actual books or less pictures, more words. Not that, mm-hmm. uh, not that that's a flex, but, you know, that was that was what I read growing up. It was a lot of uh, 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 nonfiction no- novels or fiction. I forget the two mixed up. I think it's whatever, you know, all the Harry Potters and so on and so forth. Fiction is the not re- is the not reals. And then, OK, non- there we go. The, I read the <laughs> not reals ones. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's. And I never really particularly felt drawn to comics. But what I find interesting about this new one with John Kent is, Mm. uh, you know, he falls for a journalist, very on brand for Superman. But Mm. he does so, and this is a little bit, I mean, this is not necessarily a spoiler. It's sort of, you know, it's on the package. It's sort of a a highlight. But from what I've been able to uh, see so far, it's because Spy, uh, not uh, Superman gets, you know, burnt out. John Kent gets a bit burnt out. And, you know, the, the Jay uh, Nakamura is there to help pick up the pieces and be the rock that he can depend on. Because, and I mm. think it, there's a humanity in that. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to it. Maybe I will take up reading comics and, and have more pictures and less words. I mean, that, that is a, a definite feature of the, the Batman comics, that he dips in and out of retirement, depending on who is Robin or Nightwing or whomever. You know, if he feels that Gotham is safe, then he's like, I'm getting too old for this. And then he goes and actually does Bruce Wayne for a while. And then other times he gets, you know, he's like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, the latest Nightwing or Robin or whatever got killed or retired or moved to another city i guess they gotta come out of retirement so it's kind of a a a basic story you haven't read that many graphic novels have you so like you never read scott pilgrim you never read like akira or oh no i never read any of them it was for me it was uh i mean i think think... watchman here somewhere i can lend you one yeah maybe i started (laughs) off with the hobbit there was a very uh, serious, very English uh, school teacher I had back in Wales. Oh. And uh, I started off with The Hobbit, read the Lord of the Rings movie uh, books, 
and then um, yeah, kind of fell into that uh, that realm, but versus Le Guin and uh, uh, so on and so forth. But yeah, I read I read a lot of those, and almost none of them have queer characters. You know, there is definitely a an absence of queer characters in those mm. you know very established uh, uh, books. You know, Terry Pratchett, etc. I think Terry Pratchett may have uh, a queer character or two now. Yeah, but, probably does. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's certainly something that I'm going to keep an eye out on. That is for sure. Now, in a bit of a serious note, we've been pretty, actually, I think we'll get to the serious story in just a bit. I have one more not as serious story. And okay. this kind of relates, I'm, I'm visiting family right now. And we went to lots of antique stores okay. and in the GTA. These antique stores are like large venues with like lots of little booths. So okay. people have like their little booth and they're usually themed. And uh, like a Hamilton has amazing antique stores. We went to oh. Ottawa Street in Hamilton yesterday. Oh, okay. Not Lock Street? You went to Ottawa? Ottawa Street. I have no idea why there's so many needles and threads everywhere. I assume it has something to do with... Yes, with yes. The, Ottawa the is the fabric district. The place. Yeah. yeah, it's the fabric district. It just historically, that's... It's things glom together. You know, you go into one place... For here, you know, the, the fabrics that you make clothes out of, and you go next door and they have the upholstery fabrics, and then you go next door and you have your sewing machine. And it's like, you know, uh, like businesses stick together because they all support each other and they kind of like, you know, the success of one is the success of all of them to some degree. And they also have a really good taco stand on Ottawa Street, just mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, it was a strange mix of antique stores, vegan cafes, and mm. fabric stores. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a peculiar experience going there. But what really jumped out at me is that you know you've got all of these antique stores, and then randomly there's a booth where half the booth is old Playboy magazines. Okay, you yeah, know, I understand that they are you know they are a collectible, so therefore people are collecting these old Playboys. They're um, vintage. But yeah, I just I don't know if I would want to buy a secondhand Playboy. Uh, magazine, you know, okay. I mean, I don't know if I would particularly trust that as a collectible, but I'm what sure if were we have re-printed? listeners who, you know, because in maybe... the in the past we have talked about um, they they reprinted the collected works of Tom of Finland as a sort of coffee table book, and we we have talked about that in the past. So if they took uh, like you know the the history of Playboys or the history of Playgirls and then bound them into a large hardcover full color you know, coffee table thing for $95.99 plus shipping, you know, if, if it were on sale for 60 bucks, would, would you consider it in that case? If it's not pre-owned, it's just rebound and resold. Oh yeah, definitely. For me, it's the it's the pre-owned bit that, that is throwing me <laughs> off a little. Um, I don't know if somebody, I don't really want to buy a Playboy if someone has, you know, leafed through the pages, let's say. Previously uh, well, enjoyed. Previously enjoyed a copy of uh, Playboy. Now, Playboy is actually getting a bit of uh, backlash recently. Uh-huh. Uh, one Christian group has said it has gone from the sordid to the perverse with their recent issue. Isn't where that the point? Brickman... Sorry? Isn't that the point? Yes, but like they've gone to, they've, 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 oh, they've stepped the line. Um, now, <laughs> Bretman Rock, which is a Filipino, a 23-year-old Filipino uh, YouTuber and, and very uh, successful with a huge audience, okay. uh, is not the first, second or third man to grace the cover of Playboy, uh, but is one of, I think, is the 
second LGBT male to ever feature on Playboy's cover. Um, where he Playboy, is in not Playgirl? Icon- Playboy, yep. Oh, where he okay. is in an, an iconic uh, bunny outfit. I think the bunny okay. outfit has only really been worn by Kate Moss, Dolly Parton, and Kylie Jenner. So, okay. yeah, it's huge. Um, it's sort of uh, shaken the world a little bit that this openly gay man is on the front cover of Playboy. So maybe that one would be quite collectible. Maybe I should go out and get a new copy, hold on to it for 50 years and and see if uh, I can flog it in an antique store. But uh, yeah, it was really interesting. The Christian groups are uh, more upset with Playboy than usual because instead of a scandalously clad woman, there is an openly gay man there. So heaven forbid that uh, that be the case. I'm mostly just surprised and delighted they're still in print. <laughs> I mean, that, if that, anyone was going to stay in print, I'm pretty yeah. sure Playboy is uh, well, pretty safe. I mean, print media. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that that uh, l- let's say scandalous materials have lasted longer than news. You know, because scandalous materials, you can go online and just get whatever you want. But for news, you'd ideally want to be paying good money for somebody trustworthy. Uh, but it seems to be the other way around that people are getting just whatever news they want from anywhere they want. And then the, you know, the, 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 the titillating, the, the blue material they're paying yes, good money for. Yes. You know, let's not, let's not undervalue the, the, the legacy of Playboy. It is one of the most successful publications uh, that oh, yeah. continues to thrive and they take their, their written content and mm-hmm. their, uh, their, their, uh, editorial uh, approach very seriously mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm sure it's you know it's incredibly uh, you know it's a big honor to be featured on Playboy and and so yeah let's not uh, let's not undermine that okay uh, now actually we did want to note a couple of weeks ago we mentioned that France is looking at banning conversion therapy we have a quick update there France at the lower house at least at least as far as we've recently checked did ban conversion therapy so this is great news mm-hmm. uh, they could be up to two years in prison or a fine of 30,000 euros now France has pulled ahead of Canada because of course there was a great big election in the middle of uh of our efforts to ban conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, and I think you also have an update on on a, on a story that we followed before. Do I? Uh, last week, uh, we were saying that the, uh, the California uh, gover- government, I don't remember, the, the house, the whatever, the, the, the state of California w- was thinking about banning uh, stealthing, which is uh, removing a condom halfway through sex after having negotiated that you would be having sex with a condom and uh basically it was kind of nonpartisan. it looked like it was definitely going to pass it passed that's the update it's not a very exciting update but it is an update it happened uh california new york and i think it's uh, well and uh washington dc they, they tend to be the bleeding edge on some of these things so if they pass that law then probably Oregon and, and Washington state, you know, it'll pop up here and there. It'll, it'll start passing through the country and state by state. It'll probably show up. Not everywhere though. There's always going to be a weird holdout state that you didn't expect like Michigan or something. Uh, but yeah, that's the update. 
I did mention that there was a, a serious story. I will I will mention it very quickly. There has been an inquest launched into the police investigation into Stephen Port in London in the UK. Uh, Stephen Port uh, killed, uh, at least is known to have killed at least four men, Anthony Walgate, uh, Gabriel Cavari, Daniel Whitworth and Jack Taylor are between mm. 21 and 25 before he was arrested in 2015. Um, the interesting update here is that the police invested each, in each of them and claimed that there was no connection between these killings, uh, even though all four men were identified and targeted through Grindr. Uh, what has now come to light is that the police have uh, officially apologized for those initial conclusions and uh, there's some investigations into those officers for essentially incompetence, you know, and uh, pretty shoddy, uh, shoddy work. Because, of course, uh, this lack of connection allowed him to continue um, being one of uh, Britain's, uh, you know, most recent serial killers. So there is a 10 week inquest on the go, which uh, should be wrapping up in about a month or two. We'll give an update on how that concluded and what major revelations there are, because, of course, we had our own Toronto based serial killer um, not too far afterwards with many of the same issues mm. with police not identifying the uh, the gay connection between them. So, mm. yeah, we'll be keeping an eye out to see if there's some lessons learned that we can pull from that. Yeah. Yeah, there there are there there is a grander narrative to that, but there's there's no time left. We gotta we gotta yeah, get going. I, I think we've been keeping it pretty light this week, and I think that uh, I don't want to bring down the mood too much with a serial killer. So uh, <laughs> we, we're just gonna call it a day. Did you have any closing uh, closing uh, news that we haven't mentioned? No, uh, nothing. Well, nothing interesting. There, there's gossipy bits, but like eh, controversial comedians, this controversial thing is not really news. Yeah, exactly. Well, we yeah. are playing out with Primitive by Vox Rhea. I'm a huge Vox Rhea fan. I have been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. 1987 is the year to be modern now, like simplicity. I'm primitive, so primitive. And modern